This is most certainly true. In the greatest act of selfless mercy, God sent his own son into our world to die for your sins. And we can't stop talking about it. We now present this sermon, recently delivered at Grace, to you. The second reading from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 6. We are united with Christ in our baptism. As our sinful nature is killed and a new man rises up to new life within us, this reading will serve also as the basis for today's sermon. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I'm told it was a snowy day, December 1st, 1986. Into the hubbub and activity of a house already filled with 11 children, number 12 was on his way. I don't remember it, but I'm told that my family was pretty excited about my arrival. I know this, in fact, because I actually have some documentation of it. A few years ago when my parents were, were uh, cleaning out their house a little bit, they gave each of us kids a box of memories. And in my memory box, I found the birth announcement that my mom wrote when she brought me home from the hospital. You know how all women who are very recently postpartum of their 12th kid are feeling particularly poetic? Would you like to hear it? I have it. Here we go. The time has come to let you know we're all excited, hearts aglow. The Lord has blessed our family with one more son. Who can it be? My name is Matthew William, Matt. I'll let you know my vital stats. I'm 22.5 inches tall. I'm 10 pounds three, and that ain't small. <laughs> I came in a flash, December 1. Dad got Mom here, but on the run, he had 20 minutes to spare or so. Then Mom said, time. He said, let's go. At 5.51 p.m., I was sent. The doctor missed out on the big event. The nurses did well. We were filled with mirth. 
I was delivered by a nurse, her name, Joyce Birth. The Lord has blessed me with lots of good health. At home, lots of love is waiting, what wealth. We wish you could come, stop by, plan to stay. We'd appreciate having you visit someday. Love the Happy Sharf Gang. Ralph and Nettie, Becky, Katie, Debbie, Erica, John, Angie, David, Cindy, Nate, Ben, Julie, and Matt. <laughs> there it is, December 1st, 1986, a, doy, a, a day of great joy and gladness in the Sharf household. But do you know what made my family even happier? When I died, six days later, brought to the baptismal font on December 7th, 1986. The congregation smiled, and a family member or two probably shed a tear of joy as a theologically and a cosmically violent event took place right before their eyes. If the Apostle Paul's words about holy baptism are to be trusted, then you and I should never look at baptism in the same way ever again. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And that's what happened at the font 37 years and one month ago today to six-day-old me. A crucifixion, a death, a burial, and a resurrection. Through the hands of my own earthly father, I was placed into the lap of my heavenly father as the water was poured and the word was proclaimed in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What do we think and what do we say when we see a baptism? What do you think people thought and said about mine? Well, for a 10-pound baby, he still looks pretty small. That's his grandpa's old baptismal gown. You know, the thing's got to be close to 100 years old. But maybe, just maybe, I'd like to think there were more than a few folks who remembered what the Apostle Paul said. That little sinner was crucified with Christ connected to Jesus with liquid nails. That former renegade child of hell was brought to new life in the resurrection of Jesus. Satan, the old evil foe, was driven far away from him, and in his place now dwells the spirit of the living God himself. On the day of my baptism, on the day of your baptism, you see, you didn't just die. You were raised to new life in Christ. Baptism is not just a, a cutesy ceremony or a photo opportunity. It is God's attack on the sinner to make them into something wholly other. In other words, not killed to death, but killed to life. When you say that out loud, it all sounds kind of preposterous, doesn't it? To trust that a, a plainly physical, visible, humble-looking act like holy baptism, a little bit of water, 18 words, could actually affect an eternal change in someone so small or someone so big. You can hardly read the Apostle Paul's words from Romans 6 on the face of him and not come away with that conclusion. But still, to say it all out loud, it sounds just a bit preposterous. Almost as preposterous as Jesus, the Son of God, 
coming to be baptized by John in the Jordan River. What kind of God gets baptized? At least in part, that seems to be the, the crux of John's objection to carrying out the function of his name and baptizing Jesus. If we look at the other gospel accounts, we get this little dialogue between John and his quasi-cousin Jesus. John tried to deter Jesus, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Now, John didn't know everything about his relative Jesus, but he did seem to know enough to know for sure that Jesus did not need what John was offering a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. All of Jerusalem and the whole region of Judea had been coming out to John, confessing their sins and polluting the waters of the Jordan River with their unrighteousness. And there's Jesus, ready to sink his feet into that muddy bank and in the process, sink himself deeper still into the fullest experience of taking the sinner's place. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and Jesus didn't have any sins. Or did he? Jesus was baptized as our substitute. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. He made your burden his burden. No, Jesus didn't have any sins, except every one of yours and mine and the whole world. Jesus' baptism by John was a baptism of repentance, not for his own sins, but for ours. Jesus' baptism by John was a baptism for the forgiveness of sins, not forgiveness for his own sins, but for ours. So the solution to, to your sin and mine is not for us to become more like God, but for God to become more like us. And there he stands, shoulder to shoulder with the sinners, waiting his turn. The baptism of our Lord is finding Jesus in the water as God in the flesh on the sinner's side. Your baptism is finding Jesus in the water, just where he's promised to be, as God in the flesh on the sinner's side. Still, that question is kicking around your minds. What kind of God gets baptized? And the offense, the jarring, shocking offense of finding God in the water is really only priming the pump for the greatest offense of all, of seeing God hanging on a cross. And that right there is what links Jesus in the Jordan River to you and this baptismal font right here. There is a bridge between the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan and your baptism, but we need to get there in just the right way. Jesus was baptized to humbly identify himself with the sinners he came to save, to take on all that we are fully in himself. And where would that saving activity finally take place? With a full cross on Calvary and an empty tomb three days later. And there is the link between Jesus and the Jordan and you in this font right here, so that when you and I are brought to the waters of holy baptism, to have the name of God put on us, it is as Paul said, we were therefore buried with Christ through baptism into death. As Jesus took his first step into the Jordan River to be baptized by John, what he was really doing was taking his first step toward a middle cross on Good Friday 
and a vacant grave three days later. In his baptism, Jesus, the sinless Son of God, was united with the sinners, so that we, sinners, are united with the sinless Son of God in our baptism. And there, from the cross of Calvary and the empty tomb of Easter, flow all the blessings and all the promises that the Lord Jesus has tucked into your baptism in his name. Things like forgiveness, salvation, death to sin, and new life in Christ. Paul said it this way, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Do you get what he's saying? Baptism is not just this sacramental starting point or this mere rite of initiation, kind of like, hey, you got it, now you're in the club. Oh no, Paul makes it clear that baptism encompasses the totality, the entirety of your life as a Christian. It is a daily death and resurrection. Like all of the gospel, it is not just a past fact or a future potential, it is a present reality that gets dropped on you from the outside. Still, does that seem like a bit of an opaque kind of thought? And what's it really mean to be crucified, buried, and raised with Christ in your baptism? What's it mean to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ? What's this whole business about of being killed, not to death, but killed to life? Here, I think it's helpful to remember that Jesus' path from his own baptism didn't lead him straight into heaven, but to trial and temptation, to a cross, and eventually a resurrection. So, too, you have been baptized into his name. You have been declared to be a child of God the Father in heaven. You have been seated safely in the lap of your loving Heavenly Father. That is your blessed reality right now. But things in this life aren't always what they seem, are they? Right now you struggle. You put on happy faces. But happy faces don't make for happy people. You try to keep up appearances so that maybe you can fool yourself into thinking that your family really is that picture of Norman Rockwell bliss that was on your Christmas card two weeks ago. Or maybe you're just in a season of life when it seems like, boy, the devil's just got your number. The temptation is just too sweet. The sin, frighteningly, is almost like this involuntary reflex. Something that you thought you had conquered long ago, and you know that as plainly death to your soul comes creeping back and calling again, and you fail, and you know what happens next. The guilt, the shame, the loneliness, feeling like you are powerless and trapped. And that is exactly where the devil wants you. Feeling utterly helpless, hopeless, and alone. But that is why your baptism into Christ is still so powerful, even today. Not just some water splashed on your head once upon a time, but a present tense right now, every single day, promise from the living God that you are his very own, from font to grave and forever with him in heaven. 
And even as you face the, the seeming contradiction between who your baptism in Christ declares you to be right now and the hardships you face under the cross of life in this world, your Savior Jesus is not and never has been in the business of breaking bruised reeds and snuffing out smoldering wicks. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. And in Christ, that's you. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. In other words, killed to life. So now maybe you see it, don't you? Your baptism is not just a past fact. You know, I got a certificate on my wall that says it happened on December 7, 1986. Nor is your baptism just a future possibility, as though you'll really only cash in on all that good stuff once you get to heaven. Oh no, your baptism is a living, breathing promise from God to you today and every day. Your baptism into Christ was you attending your own funeral as the sinful nature in you was put to death. Your baptism into Christ is a reenactment of the creation account from Genesis chapter 1. The Father spoke, the Spirit hovered, the Word himself was in the water to bless and to create you in his own image. Your baptism into Christ is a rehearsal of what's going to shake out on the last day of all. As the water was poured and the word was proclaimed over you, God the Father rendered the very same verdict that day as he will on the last day. Not guilty. You are my son. You are my daughter, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And that promise informs everything about your life right now. So does it make some sense why Paul started this whole thing the way that he did? What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? That's a rhetorical question. You can't. You won't. Maybe you remember that country song from a few years ago that urged people to live like you were dying. Remember that one? What did that mean? Well, be bold. Take chances. Do stuff you wouldn't normally do. Live life to the full because you don't know how much time you have left. Well, the Apostle Paul is going to do us one better this morning, urging us not to live like we were dying, but to live as though you have already died. Because in your baptism, that is exactly what's happened. You have died to sin. You have died to the temptation you thought you were powerless against. You have died to the vain pursuit of trying to prove your righteousness before God or yourself or any one of your neighbors. You have died to all the lies you used to tell yourself and you have been raised to new life in Christ, set free to live in this promise that your connection to Jesus in holy baptism means you are cemented to him, that you are a child of your Father in heaven, that with you, he is well pleased. Are you perfect? No. But in Christ, God says you are. And now, like Luther would say, 
Heaven is all doors and windows. It's wide open to you in Jesus. And so now, if you want to talk about life and new life, I have to remind you that truly, only the dead are candidates for new life. And that's exactly what you have in your baptism. Killed to life. The old has gone, the new has come in Christ, and every day you get to live. Not with your eyes fixed on yourself anymore, but with your eyes lifted up to see your world around you and your neighbor next to you and all the needs, and boy, are there some needs. The people out there live in this constant chaos of confusion and confrontation with each other and this incessant wondering and worrying about who God is and what he might think of me. And then here you come, looking like any other person in the whole wide world. But your baptism into Christ tells a different story about you. I told you before, you wouldn't recognize yourself if you got to see you the way God sees you in Christ. And so now you live every single day with a life that is not your own and will never be taken from you. Now, in Christ, every day of your life is a living, breathing exploration of just how wide and long and high and deep is God's love for you in Jesus. And what's really wild is that the Lord God, through his inspired apostle Paul, actually gives us permission to think about ourselves in this way. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Killed to life in his promise. So on this first Sunday after the Epiphany, remember the baptism of Jesus. When he fully identified himself with you, and took up the mantle to be our Savior and bring his salvation to the world. On this first Sunday after the Epiphany, remember your baptism. When the water was poured and the word was proclaimed, connecting you to Jesus and making you a child of your Father in heaven forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Please stand. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace or to support this ministry, please visit gracedowntown.org today. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.